0: There we go. Morning. Um, Welcome from me as well. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Matt. Um, Together with my wife Lydia, we lead a small group here. Um, And I'm also one of the trustees at Chelmsford Vineyard. Um, In every kind of close relationship and friendship group, there's always a planner, right? There's someone who loves to plan in advance. And there's probably always someone who loves to frustrate the plans of the planner. I suspect many of you, or probably half of this room, had a time you wanted to be here and you weren't here that time because of the other person, right? Fortunately, God's a planner as well, but we can't get in his way as much fun that it would be if it was. Generally, I think the non-planner sometimes benefits from the planning and sometimes benefits from the fun of ruining the plans. So I think it's a bit of a mix. Um, This morning is the second Sunday of Advent Just in case you would missed it so far. Does that sound alright? So this morning I'm going to think a little bit about the very start of the Christmas kind of recollection in Luke's Gospel. So Luke chapter 1 and particularly verses 26 to 37. Uh, Luke was one of Jesus' disciples and he wrote a book. And at the start of this book he tells the very start of the kind of Christmas story and how Jesus came. I'm going to look at a little bit about God's plans and how God planned for us and how he planned for Jesus. And then I'm going to look a little bit about how he uses his people to execute his plans. And he has the power to deliver on his plans. If you have a Bible with you, do open up to Luke 1 and follow along. If that Bible's on your phone, try not to be distracted. You might be here for a long time. No, I'm joking. It's it's not that long. Um, Before we read that, I'm just going to pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your sovereignty and your plan. We pray this morning that you would and you would help me to help us all understand more of your grace that was given to us for your Son, and the goodness in your plans and how you love to use us. Would you lift our eyes to see you more, and build our faith this morning as we look to Christmas? Amen. Um, first of all, we'll just start with verse 26. Uh, many of you will have read the kind of whole passage before, but this one I wanted just to focus on for a second. Um, as Luke rightly tells us right at the start, the passage starts in the sixth month. Sixth is a funny word to say. He say it a lot, so watch out for that as we carry on. The sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth was Mary's, I think, fourth cousin, people reckon, but also the mother of John the Baptist. So Luke gives us her time, and then Gabriel speaks to Mary. But why does Gabriel speak to Mary? Because he was sent from God to do so. A Christmas story starts with God. Christmas starts with God. In fact, it started with God thousands of years before Elizabeth was even born. And it sounds really obvious to say, but I want to kind of flag that at the start, that there is no Christmas without God. It has no meaning. God isn't a bolt-on. God didn't use things that were happening to make Christmas. Christmas is about God. It's about the creator of the universe who became part of the world, moving himself in the person of Jesus into the universe that he had made. And what makes it more amazing is that universe was and still is in rebellion against him. But God came to the earth to save sinners, to save people. Jesus is not a bolt onto Christmas. Christmas is all and only about Jesus. It's a time when we celebrate something that God planned and executed, not for his own benefit, but so that we could come to know him, that we could be set free from our sin and our shame. And there's my kind of focus for this morning is God's plan to deliver us from that through ordinary people like Mary and like us. Um, we will, just the next slide, please, We'll look at the rest of, um, from Luke 26. As we're a bit familiar with this story, we're going to assign some roles, so keep you on your toes. If this side of the room, if Gabriel speaks, I want you to read it out. And when Mary speaks, I want you to read it out. Make sure you're paying attention. I will narrate in the middle. And I'll give you some tips. Um, Starting at verse 26 in Luke 1. uh, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, Not many of this side of the room look greatly troubled at the moment. (laughs) She was greatly troubled and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb a son and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. That's my fault, sorry. And he will be great and called Son of the Most High. the son of god and behold your relative elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with those who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with god now it's a bit of fun that but also i think i really want everyone to pay attention to what people said this morning and what gabriel says and what mary says so hopefully hope you remember it a little bit um, Just before we get into it, there's a reason I chose Luke this morning, and that's because Luke loves detail. He loves names and places and times, and he's very careful at writing down and nailing things back to facts and people and places and times. All the way through the book of Luke, we see that not just in this passage. He goes to great lengths all the way through to make sure people knew the specifics of what he was talking about. And Luke's strong attention to detail is not an accident. God also loves detail. God pays attention to detail. In fact, the entire Christmas story, including this passage, shows us that God pays attention to the detail. He plans the details. Which is, sounds great, but is also crazy if you think about that with us. That we serve a God who created the universe by speaking, but also knows the details of the days of our lives, the times, the places, the people we meet. Our God plans ahead. And he plans in detail. And he's been telling people about these plans for hundreds and thousands of years. Many of which are recited through the Old Testament. Which is how we know for certain that none of the details of Jesus' birth were an accident. God didn't spot an opportunity to, oh, there's a baby, this, this one can be Jesus. He wasn't jumping on the back of something. This was all pre-planned. In the same way, God knows the details about our lives. The lives we have lived the lives we're living and the lives we will live going forwards. He has plans for us. He's made plans and he made those plans in detail. In this passage we see the unfolding of a plan he set thousands of years ago. And this plan is so important. The whole Bible really, the whole Old Testament has been moving forwards towards this moment. So Luke again is very careful to plot use specific words, use specific record specific times and people to show us this morning that God has planned for this moment. This is a bit of a contrast. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see through there, Matthew says, as it is written, quite a lot, and things like that when he refers to the Old Testament, because his Gospel was written for Jews, so he wanted to flag to them, look, as it is written, as you already know, you know this is here, but here it is. Luke's Gospel was written for Gentiles, for non-Jews. And so he sort of drops them in a bit more subtly, because I suspect he's a person who loves the detail, loves the history but it's also conscious that he's writing for an audience that might not know references. So that means us as an audience, unless any of us are really hot on our Old Testament, maybe need to just keep a closer eye out for this kind of stuff as we go through. In the next slide, I've highlighted a few references that Luke drops in. And these start right at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 3, we're told there will be a son of Eve who will come and crush the serpent's head. In Genesis 22, an offspring of Abraham that will come and be a blessing to all nations. In verse 26 of this passage, Luke records that it's set in a city within the land of Galilee called Nazareth. Galilee isn't mentioned loads during the Old Testament, so we know where he's referring to when he puts this in and the reason he puts this in. In Isaiah chapter 9, which is a thousand and a bit years before Jesus, Isaiah was a prophet and wrote down loads of his prophecies and they're included in the Bible. And at the beginning of chapter 9, um, Isaiah prophesied that the Lord will bring glory to the land of Galilee. The land of Galilee was, was one of the first lands, of the promised lands, to be conquered, to be attacked and invaded. It, was, it suffered kind of humiliation. They were, people of Galilee were made slaves. They were sort of one of the first parts of the, the promised land, which was supposed to be God's people, to kind of suffer defeat. And it was, it was embarrassing. And, and throughout the Old Testament, there are a little bit of a kind of byword for kind of being invaded. It's like, oh yeah, Galilee, of course, someone else is running that at the moment. God's promise in Isaiah probably felt a long way off at the time. When Isaiah said that they were, that was a land that the Lord was going to bring glory to, that would have, that would have jarred a little bit. It's so, like, well, why? They're, they're always owned by someone else. They kind of they don't stick up for themselves very well. Whatever. But God promised that it would be the first to see the dawn of a glorious era. That, that Galilee, that sort of... Um, it wasn't a, you wouldn't be particularly proud of the land of Galilee if you were from there necessarily, but that was to be the first... Which tells us something about God that, that we'll come right round to. In verse twenty seven, Luke talks about a virgin betrothed. And again in Isaiah prophesied in chapter seven that therefore the Lord will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive. In verses twenty seven and thirty two, Luke talks about the house of David, and that from there will and and then in thirty two says, Great, he will be great and called son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Which again slots really nicely. There's a prophecy that Nathan gave to David about a thousand years before. When he took his son into the temple for a blessing. And his son was called Solomon. And the the prophecy partly applied to Solomon. But the words that Gabriel uses here are deliberately reflecting that prophecy as well. It's written down in 2 Samuel. And it says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... I will raise up your offering after you, who shall come from your body, your being David, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Isaiah also prophesied that the Messiah, who will come to save the Jews, will rule over a kingdom that will have no end. All of this stuff Gabriel was conscious of, and Luke was really careful to write down. He's carefully recorded the events that unfolded to clearly demonstrate that everything is carefully planned, that God is in charge, and that all the planning and the promise from the Old Testament was now. It was coming to fruition. This is the moment the Jews had been waiting for. God was not jumping on the back of something else. He was the ultimate orchestrator. He was, he'd written this stuff down. He told them this was going to happen. For those of us that are the planners in our relationships or our friendship groups, how annoying is it when someone or something gets in the way of what you thought was a great plan? Maybe you've got your kind of three-year career plan. Maybe it was your plan to come on time this morning. Maybe it's your kind of wider life plan. It's so annoying when something gets in the way. But the great news is that God's plans never fail, that God's plans for you never fail. God's plans for the world never fail. God's meticulous planning for some of us might also feel a bit daunting this morning. But what we also need to understand is God's goodness. And that, yes, this shows us God's sovereignty. That God is the master of the universe. That he is Lord. That he executes his plans in detail. But also that these promises show God's goodness and God's heart. God did all this that he could save the people in rebellion against him. That he was committed to our salvation right from the very start. This plan was put in place before the ages to save us. Because he loved us. And because we didn't. We were not able to earn his love. Secondly, if we just move on and we look at when Gabriel speaks to Mary. I won't make you read it again. Gabriel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. But she, Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. Put yourselves in Mary's shoes for a minute. Gabriel comes and says, Greetings, O favoured one. But she was greatly troubled. People throughout the Bible, and Zechariah, kind of a few verses before, an angel appears to him and and their recorders was falling flat on their face in fear that they were terrified at the sight of the angels because angels were really scary. It's not quite what Luke says here. Mary isn't terrified because Gabriel was bright and light and filled the room or powerful. Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The greeting doesn't seem like the scary part to me. Like the angel Gabriel arrives and says, oh, favoured one, you think, oh, I'll take that, actually. Like, that's not bad, actually. That could have been a lot worse. The angel Gabriel probably knows and would say about me. That's pretty friendly. If an angel comes to us and says, oh, favoured one, it surprised me a little bit when you sort of think about it, that Mary wasn't greatly encouraged or built up or she was terrified, and then he said, favoured one, and then she, oh, oh, that's all right. Actually, okay? I'm, kind of, I'm in the good books. But was that not the case? We can't be 100% sure, but I think Gabriel gives us a clue when he responds, as you did so eloquently. He says, you have found favor with God. Gabriel repeats effectively what he said, because he's keen for her to hear again that she is favored before he tells her anything else, before he reveals God's plan to her. She needs to know this, she needs to understand. She shouldn't be troubled because it's the truth. Mary was doubting her standing before God, her position as favoured. She was it, she was troubled. That's not even just a bit unsure. She, it kind of it, it really disturbed her a bit. Maybe she remembered that these words had been spoken over great men and women of faith in the Old Testament and, and she was didn't feel like she matched up. Maybe she was really aware of her sin at that moment and I don't know, she'd given Joseph a hard time for making them late ten minutes before and felt a bit, oh no, I'm not, that, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. Maybe it's because she was a young woman and actually at that time young women had no social standing or sort of right to be, no kind of social rights in the same way. Maybe she felt inadequate and not able to do what Gabriel wants. But Gabriel wanted Mary to hear before he'd asked anything that she was highly favoured. And that's not because she'd done well, Gabriel and the Lord aren't big father Christmases at Christmas time looking at a good list and oh you're favored and you're not God hadn't judged Mary worth God hadn't seen Mary being well behaved and chosen her because of that. Mary was highly favoured by God's grace alone. The baby that was Jesus was coming to Mary was not just a blessing to her because she'd done well. God had chosen Mary by her grace, by his grace, to bless her with the baby Jesus. And that, that baby was to be a blessing to the whole world. Slightly later, when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to, um, to be blessed, Simeon prophesies over Jesus and says my eyes have seen that your salvation that you have presented in the face of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and to your people Israel the message you have found favor you have found grace was not just for Mary it's for all of us we have found favor through the coming of Jesus and this is the heart of the Christmas story we're a broken people we're we're not loved and given grace by God because we've been good this year. Not because of anything we've done, not because of our social standing or we're impressive. We are favoured, we are highly favoured because we've found grace. And therefore the key question for Mary and the key question for us as we relive this is that, are we, can, we, can we receive that or are we greatly troubled by that? How many of us have doubted the grace we've received in Christ? Already this morning, how many have questioned whether we're good enough for God's plans for us, whether we're extroverted enough, whether we're introverted enough, whether we're patient or organized enough, whether we're well-planned enough to do what God wants us to do. How do we feel about God's favor and God's grace? Do we feel that when we come before God, or are we troubled by our own sin and our inadequacy? In Jesus, we have found favor with God just like Mary. In Jesus we are sons and daughters of the Most High. God and Gabriel knew this and knew that Mary had to understand this because she was the first to hear it. She was the first one to be blessed by Jesus and it was coming for all of us. But she also needed to know God's favour so that she could walk forwards and understand the goodness and love in God's plan. Only when we understand his favor and his grace do we trust his goodness, do we trust his plans. God used Mary to bring Jesus into the world to save sinners, to save us. And he wants to use us this morning to do the same to those around us. We are all highly favored by God and are part of his plan for the salvation of the world. We all have a part to play. I suspect that probably doesn't involve giving birth, which is a relief certainly for me, but we have a plan. We have a role to play in telling people about the goodness of Christmas, the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of God. God makes great plans thousands of years ahead and incredibly uses us to execute those plans. But how can we trust that those plans will happen? How can we trust what he's called us to will come? If we look at when Gabriel speaks to Mary again in verses 34, it says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Mary's primary concern was how Gabriel addressed her. She was worried about, or she was greatly troubled by being highly favoured. Her secondary concern was practical, maybe even biological. How would this happen? How am I to become pregnant? How am I to give birth to the son of the Most High? How often is our problem that we trust and believe God's plans and his promises, but we get worried about the details? Personally, I'm very happy with God's plan for my life and he's got it all planned out and it's all for his glory and he's called me to to go and preach the gospel and 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 to serve the lost and but what does that look like tomorrow when someone at work has something going on and i should offer to pray or one of my friends has hurt their leg and i should pray for healing how does the detail work how do i respond in the moment to the small details it's then oh i'm not sure how this works god is this is this the right moment We get worried about details and we get caught up in, in moments. And I think Mary might have been doing the same here. But Gabriel's answer is fantastic. He says, the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. Don't worry about biology or practicalities. The Holy Spirit will come. Therefore... God will come, and a baby will be born. There's no vitamin supplements or herbal tea. There's nothing you need to do at all. God will come. Slightly before this, in verse 19 of Luke 1, Zechariah is told about Elizabeth's pregnancy. And he, and he also asks how. And the angel Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Zechariah says, Oh, Gabriel, how will this happen? I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Gabriel's like, you don't understand. I stand in the presence of God. If I say a baby will be born, a baby will be born. There's nothing to it. If you did tell you the practicalities, you wouldn't even understand. And Gabriel gives Mary a testimony about Elizabeth, who Mary knew well she, they were related. Gabriel, It's almost like Gabriel says, it, if you need more evidence... Look at Elizabeth, we know it's the sixth month of her pregnancy, you speak to her every day, she's always, her back's hurting, all this stuff is going on, it's real, it's happening. And on one hand, I'm not sure Elizabeth would have been overly happy about her description in the Bible, I think she's primarily referred to as old and barren, which I think in any other circumstances, seems a bit harsh, but actually in here it's a testament to God's faithfulness and God's goodness, Mary was young and a virgin, Elizabeth was old and barren. And between them they brought probably two of the most influential um, people-ish who brought about our salvation. Salvation for the entirety of creation came through these two women. Gabriel lives in the presence of God. He knows the power involved. There's no there's not even a question in his mind about physics or biology or practicalities. Nothing is impossible. With God, he says. This was all done in God's power because nothing is impossible for God. And if there's one message that sits alongside the grace of God in Christmas, it's that nothing is impossible with God. Virgin birth, nothing is impossible with God. How could God become a man? Nothing is impossible with God. How could a people, how could an entire solar system be saved from sin and darkness? Nothing is impossible with God. How can there ever truly be peace on earth? Nothing is impossible with God. How can sorrow be turned to joy? How can God bring what is dead to life? Nothing is impossible with God. And this is the message of Christmas. Forget Santa and Christmas trees and Christmas pudding. It's all about Jesus. God made a plan. He had the power to execute. He chose to use people to help. And nothing is impossible with God. He plans for our benefit because he loves us. And he loves to use us in his grace. And he's got plans for all of us in here today. And the extent to which you're comfortable with that or not might be the extent to which he's pushing you. But he is there to help and nothing is impossible with God. If he's put something on your heart to pray for, if you're, if you're worried about talking to someone, if, you, if you're thinking twice about anything, in your life, nothing is impossible for God. Let's be bold in stepping into what he's got for us this Christmas. We are highly favoured and we can accept that. That is for us. That is for you this morning. And let's step out into the world and do what he says because nothing is impossible with God. If you'd like to stand, we'll, we'll just pray.